Oregon State has made their decision at quarterback for 2024 with Giovanni McCoy from Idaho. Or have they? You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked on Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights and Pac-2-dominated and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. And many thanks, as always, to Carter Baines for joining me today. Beaverbliss.com, 24-7 Sports, National Writing Desk. I think that Giovanni McCoy coming in from Idaho at the outset looks like, oh, he's going to be the starter next year. Do you feel the same way? I think it's still a competition. Uh, Ben Goldbranson does obviously bring a decent amount to the table. Uh, You would like to find an upgrade over him. And I don't know that Giovanni McCoy comes in as an instant uh, obvious upgrade. I, I think I'd be curious to see how that competition plays out in the spring before I really, uh, I really put pen to paper there and said, Giovanni McCoy is going to be QB one at Oregon state. Um, the skill set is very intriguing. The experience very much. So the, the high level play uh, this year at a, a top tier FCS school in Idaho, I think he has the experience uh, and, and the intriguing skill set and um, a track record of success to find success at Oregon state as they play a, a, a mountain West dominant schedule here in 2024, but uh, would be interested to see how the competition looks in the spring and also if Oregon State's done yet in the transfer portal. Yeah, and for Oregon State, I don't think they're done in the portal writ large, and we're going to talk about that more later on the show for non-quarterback positions and kind of what Trent Bray and company you know, need to add going into next year. But I think of the quarterback position, it's you know a, a move to bring in a guy that was good this year just just to be clear we don't want to undersell what he did at idaho you know he led the vandals to uh, the quarterfinals in uh, the fcs he completed about 65 percent of his passes just under three thousand yards passing 15 touchdowns eight interceptions not not a great touchdown to interception ratio there he does move a little bit though and i think that's something that he brings into the conversation that ben goldbranson does not who is about as much of a standstill pocket passer as you're going to find in in modern college football. But when you take out sack yardage from uh, this year, McCoy carried the ball 88 times for, for almost 400 yards on, on the ground. So about, you know, four and a half or so uh, yards per carry a little bit, I think closer to five, if I were to do math, but I don't want to do that right now. So I I think that for McCoy, someone who brings a dynamic playmaking component that Oregon state, I think mildly upgraded when they had a DJ Uyunglele ahead of this past season because he's someone who, you know, introduced a, a, at least a mobile element to the quarterback spot. And anyone who is maybe less familiar or unfamiliar, unfamiliar altogether with the FCS ranks over the last couple of years might scoff at this and say, well, you know, he, he's an FCS quarterback. What can he bring to the table? You got to remember Cameron Ward at Wazoo. Uh, the incarnate word transfer. Now he's, I mean, one of the top transfers, probably going to get a million plus in NIL money to go to a big program. I mean, there is a track record 
of players coming from the FCS and having success at FBS. And I mean, who better to, to carry on that lineage than the 2022 Jerry Rice Award winner for National FCS Freshman of the Year in Jelani McCoy? His, I think we would sit here and say that from a passing perspective, his freshman year was better than this most recent year, but he showed a little bit more with his legs this season. Idaho was big on the ground this year. Um, you know, weren't necessarily relying on him to make big plays through the air. He's shown accuracy at times. I mean, he's over his full seasons, he's never finished below 65% completion. The interceptions were a little concerning this year, I suppose. But I mean, 2022 in that Jerry Rice season, 27 touchdowns to seven interceptions, you'll take that seven days out of the week. So uh, again, somebody who has multiple years of experience playing at a high level, who has won games, I don't care what level you're at, uh, that's valuable. It is. And I think the other valuable component is coming from an offense that tends to run the football a lot. They had Anthony Woods, who's going to Utah this year. I think he'll be a great addition to the Utes backfield up there. The Big Sky has produced some really, really good players for, for the Pac-12 over the years. And, you know, they've had players that at the Big Sky level have gone on to play in the NFL. I think about guys like Cooper Cup. You know, I think it's really easy to scoff at the, at the FCS in, in general. The Big Sky is the cream of the crop as a league top to bottom. You know, this year in the FCS championship game, uh, Montana is going up against the reigning national champions uh, in, in South Dakota State. And the big sky every year has got Montana and Montana State. And you just look at the players who have transferred from an FCS program out of the big sky to the Pac-12 and had success. There have been more than a few, including at the quarterback position. Cameron Ward came from the Southland, but you go back to a name that Oregon State fans might not love hearing about, but Vernon Adams went from Eastern Washington to the, uh, to, to the Ducks. And he had a great, not a good, a great season. And, and that season got derailed because Vernon Adams got hurt or that Oregon team might go back to the playoff. I, I've long held that belief because I think they were really, really good when Adams was there. So I think that McCoy is someone who comes in and you know brings a, a winning pedigree for sure. But I, I am with you that it's not an automatic lock the way it would be if you know Malik Murphy had been the transfer option for Oregon State here. That would have been, okay, this is the quarterback for next year. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'd still lean McCoy, probably you know, 60-40. But if it were you know a Malik Murphy or, or any other target that uh, you had out there from the FBS level, I think that would be an automatic plug and play. Whereas this one... It's not as if Ben Goldbranson, who we're going to see in the Sun Bowl against Notre Dame once again, and we've seen him win a lot of football games. It's not as if Oregon State can't win with number 17 back there. And let's be clear. I mean, Malik Murphy hasn't announced a commitment anywhere. He's I mean, he's still yet to make a decision. He took a visit to Oregon State. I, I think the Beavers might still be in the market for another quarterback. I mean, you mentioned Malik Murphy being that instant starter. Well, I mean, if Javar, if, if Giovanni McCoy is your backup, you're not going to be too upset about that. I, I think Oregon State could also be in the market for Jabari Johnson from Missouri, who's from Tacoma, entered the transfer portal after his freshman year. Uh, this is a, a former decently highly rated recruit, number 21 quarterback in the country for 24-7 sports. So um, someone who has ties to uh, to some Oregon State coaches as well that I think the Beavers could be in play for maybe not necessarily to, to come in and start right away, be in that conversation with Goldbranson and McCoy, uh, but to bolster the depth there and maybe give you another option moving forward. Cause I mean, Goldbranson's only going to have, I believe two years of eligibility remaining and then same with McCoy. Um, so as Trent Bray looks to, 
to build towards the future here, you have to get some some back-end talent in that quarterback room. Travis Throckmorton's been there for a couple of years. Uh, I always thought he was a little bit of a reach. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if, if they looked to upgrade over him. Dom Montiel, the, the walk-on who was very highly touted at the time out of Marshfield. Um, again, another guy who's probably not going to be your starter moving forward. So building behind Goldbranson and McCoy or bringing someone in who can start over them right away, um, that would go a long way in building the quarterback depth for not just this season, not just next season, but you know, three years down the line as you, you start to get into those uh, what should be the most prolific seasons under the Trent Ray era and what could be a return to the power conference level after this two-year window uh, of independence. We, we should say as well, we're recording this show on uh, December 22nd. Wanted to give you all some uh, content to be able to enjoy after Christmas. Uh, so it's dropping on uh, the 26th. So if something has changed in that regard, something has changed in in that regard. I could see them adding, you know, a Johnson, for instance, from, from Missouri, because he is, you know, not experienced. He's more of a developmental guy and you could, you know, lay the groundwork there. And, you know, much like Oregon has done in Eugene, where they bring in Dylan Gabriel, and then they bring in Dante Moore and say, okay, we're set at quarterback for the next two years. Oregon State could do the same if Jabari Johnson uh, sees that as a viable option for him and sees that as a path to uh, potential success. But McCoy is interesting because he brings a different skill set. What does that mean for Oregon State offensive coordinator Ryan Gunderson? Well, we are definitely going to talk about that. We are also talking about eBay Motors because passion, drive, and patience, what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. I've had the same car for about 10 years now, and I never want it to go anywhere. And eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash, which is what Florida State might try to do to get out of the ACC. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. That's ebaymotors.com, eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. So Trent Bray has just about finalized his staff in uh, Corvallis. I think there are still a couple position coach or analyst spots to fill out, but the big hires have been made, most notably, Ryan Gunderson, an offensive coordinator, who comes over as a first-time OC after being the quarterback's coach at UCLA under Chip Kelly for the last couple of years. What do you think he brings to the table offensively? And then if Giovanni McCoy is the starter, do you think the offense looks a lot different from a season ago? That's the thing. We don't really know. I mean, Ryan Gunderson's never been a play caller. When he was at, <clears throat> excuse me, when he was at UCLA, obviously Chip Kelly was calling the plays there. Uh, San Jose State, he was a quarterback's coach, passing game coordinator, but he never called plays. And then during his GA stint at Oregon State, obviously, he was uh, in, in more of an assistant role. So You tell me they don't let graduate assistants call plays? <laughs> no, no, they don't. Especially when, when, man, 2008, is that uh, that's the Danny Langsdorf era? That's like borderline Oregon State going to the air raid. In, in that time frame before Mannion. That's a wild that's a wild thing to try and picture right there. Yeah. Oregon State has been under center for basically my entire life. Yeah. Um 
But the the point being, I mean, Ryan Gunderson, we don't know what his scheme is. And I know at Beaver Blitz, Angie and Jake, that's one of their top priorities this offseason is is getting with Ryan Gunderson, picking his brain a little bit about, you know, what kind of system are you bringing to Oregon State? Because you look at the coaches he's coached under, Mike Riley, very pro style. Chip Kelly, very not pro style. Um, And then at San Jose State with, with Brent Brennan, kind of a mix of the two, I guess you could say. So uh, a, a little bit of a wild card as far as schematics, what he's looking for at certain positions. I mean, we have this picture of Oregon State being a smash mouth, dominate in the trenches, pound the rock type of team. Uh, there's no guarantee that that's what Ryan Gunderson wants to do. I, I, I think it would be in his best interest to take advantage of what is left by the past coaching staff. Use Damian Martinez to your advantage um, use those speedy receivers to your advantage in in the play action game, but again, we just don't know. Yeah, and I, I think that for for Trent Bray, this is an element of being a head coach that I, I never feel like gets discussed properly because people look at you know what you do on or what what you have done in your career as a coach, and whichever side of the ball you come from, people assume that you know that's where most of your emphasis is going to be, which is true. Like that, that, that part I think is true. You're going to spend more of your time there. You can maybe have uh, more of a recruiting advantage there. But to say that someone who was a defensive coordinator has just no say, no influence, nothing over what his team does offensively, I don't buy into that at all. Do you think Kirby Smart hires an offensive coordinator and says, okay, I'm not going to talk to you the entire week? There, there were, I think, stories back in the day of Chip Kelly doing that at Oregon, which I do believe. Or Lincoln Riley at USC. They're not putting a whole lot of emphasis there. And, and by the way, Lincoln Riley is having to kind of rethink that particular approach, or at least he, he says that he is. But I think for head coaches that come from a particular side of the ball, that's where you expect a team's strength to be. That's where you expect a team's identity to be. But to say that he's just not going to be in offensive meetings, not talk about play calls, not talk about decisions or what he wants to do, I, I just – I've never bought into that, and I don't think that 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 flies. So for Trent Bray, he's watched Oregon State succeed in the last several years, and then going back to you know his time as a GA on was he on he was on the Mike Riley staff, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So his time there, he has seen Oregon State succeed with a certain style. I don't know how much that matters to him because he's coming from Chip Kelly, where he learned, yeah, you're in the shotgun eighty-five to ninety percent of the time. And I think that that's a conversation between Coach Gunderson and Coach Bray about how do we want to attack a team offensively given the personnel that we have. And I think that Giovanni McCoy potentially being your starting quarterback absolutely shapes that. I think even more than DJ Uyunglele did because with DJ I felt it was you know they're running the same system, but they they have a couple plays, they have a couple wrinkles, they can you know roll out a little more, they can throw it more, they can do quarterback runs. But with McCoy, you could have entire concepts and plays and formations that you just didn't run before. I think it's telling too, that Trent Bray elected to retain a few coaches on the offensive side of the ball. Kafense Hinson at wide receivers coach. And then uh, John Boyer, who I believe was a grad assistant or in some sort of analyst role who he moved over to the tight ends coach position. So keeping that continuity there uh, could signal that Oregon state under Trent Bray uh, wants to keep some of the same offensive principles intact. Now, I mean, obviously, you don't necessarily need to read too much into it. Um, 
those are position coaches, not coordinators. You know, they're not the ones who are calling the shots here. But I, I think having that continuity gives you at least the option to say, well, we've had these coaches who know exactly what we've done and what exactly has been successful for the last five, six years. Um, they can kind of help Ryan Gunderson tailor his scheme to what has worked at Oregon State, what their personnel groups have, um, you know, put them in positions to be successful because nobody knows that receiver group better than Kafense Hinson. And, and nobody knows those tight ends and, and quarterbacks better than John Boyer. So um, that's, I, I think, goes back to your point of, of Trent Gray being a little hands-on in, in what Oregon State does offensively. I do think, too, the fact that Trent Bray hasn't hired a defensive coordinator, um, I, I don't think that's reason for concern in, in any sense at, at Oregon State, because like you said, Trent Bray has that defensive experience. Uh, elevating him to defensive coordinator was what put Oregon State over the top. Um, he has this this kind of ability to, I think, handpick someone and, and again, defensively elevated some guys from, from lower assistant roles to position coach roles who... I think are going to carry on his defensive philosophy. So we will see a very Trent Bray-esque Oregon State team, even though there are a handful of new coaches coming in. Is the expectation that Bray is going to call the defensive plays? I don't know that that is set in stone yet. Okay. Because I was thinking about Lincoln Riley, because I just mentioned him. He does not have an offensive coordinator. You know, he has other offensive coaches. You know, he's got an offensive line coach, but he is the OC, the quarterbacks, and the head coach. That is everything that that he does. And, you know, you look at Chip Kelly, for instance, he's always had a little bit more of a built-out staff. Like he, I'm pretty sure, has an offensive coordinator at UCLA. I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure that I'm right. He always did when he was at Oregon, I know. But for Lincoln Riley, you know, he, because he has that experience as a play caller, he feels, I, I don't need to have – you know, a number two guy there if I have, you know, a good enough staff uh, around me and whatnot. So I want to talk about the transfer portal for for Trent Bray because, yeah, he might need to go out and get defense coordinator. But I, I think more importantly, he's got to go out and find some players here. And, and I think that, you know, as we talk about the quarterback situation and, you know, will it be Giovanni McCoy? Will it be Ben Goldbranson? I, I think that one of the top concerns for Oregon State offensively right now is – they need to go out and get at least one playmaking wide receiver. Where do you stand on that? Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, I, I look to the positions that Oregon State is losing talent via the portal and say that's where they need to go. Uh, at cornerback, losing Jermaud McCoy, I mean, that's that's a huge loss. This was a true freshman who, <clears throat> who made an impact right away who has offers from like every SEC school, I think. Uh, Oregon State was at times thin at corner this this past year. Go out and get a corner, you know. Go out and get a a, a safety to to fill a Keely Arnold spot or a linebacker to fill Easton Mascarenas Arnold spot. We talked about this the last time I was on. Kind of went down the line of of who Oregon State's brought in via the portal. A lot of edge rushers, a lot of linemen, and a, a running back in Anthony Hankerson. I, I think if if the quarterback position is is set now and they don't bring anyone else in. Uh, I would be a little surprised. So I think we still see a little bit more movement there, but I, I think Oregon state needs more skill position talent from the transfer portal. Um, Oregon state, a, a, again, a program that has built around the trenches over the last handful of years. And, and they're doing that through the portal, but you have to, you have to bolster your talent on the edges 
uh, whether that's at receiver, whether that's at corner, um, and then in the defensive backfield, which was, you know, I, I think it's fair to say the Beavers took a step backward in the defensive backfield last season. So bolstering those positions, I, I think, is key as Trent Bray goes into year one. Offensively for, for Oregon State, are Silas Bolden and Anthony Gould back next year? Refresh my memory or or double check perhaps because that certainly factors into the discussion. But I, I still felt, you know, with those guys there who are great slot receivers, can take the top off a of defense, good after the catch, they, they, they did a lot of, of really good things. But I did feel that offensively Oregon State was at times missing kind of a go-to big body receiver on the outside. And I felt that way before the year. And, you know, we talked before the season about candidates that, you know, could maybe step into that role. I didn't feel they ever really developed that. It was Silas Bolden, Anthony Gould, and Jack Velling at tight end. And that's, you know, a, a good complement of weapons. But I didn't feel that they had a guy who could, you know, make the 50-50 catches or be super reliable in, you know, a certain down and distance and whatnot, the way that, you know, you see a lot of the great offenses around the Pac-12 this year, whether you're looking at, uh, you know, Washington with Roma Dunze, Oregon with Troy Franklin, Arizona with Ted Tyroa McMillan, having that kind of big body go-to guy, I, I think is something that helps out a quarterback a great deal. So Anthony Gould and Silas Bolden both have a year of eligibility left. Um, and I'm looking to see, I believe, yeah, Anthony Gould declared for the draft, so he will not be back. Okay. Uh, but Silas Bolden, to my best knowledge, has not indicated whether he will return or leave. He's not in the transfer portal, so, I mean, that's at least as of now off the table. But At least as we record this show, he's not in the transfer portal. Yeah. I, again, this is December 22nd. Things change at the speed of light during the month of December in college football. But, I mean, if you can bring Silas Bolden back, that gives you an instant uh, number one wide receiver and and losing uh, losing Jack Velling at, at tight end to the transfer portal, you need as much back at the pass catching positions as possible. Because I mean, Jack Velling had what like six, seven, eight touchdowns. Um, Anthony Gould has has been a stalwart in your receiving core for years now. So getting Bolden back would would be huge and would give you a building block uh, in, in the passing game. Yeah, and I, I think that for, you know, whether it's McCoy or Ben Goldbranson or some mixture of both, uh, uh, maybe next year, I think that, that that's a pretty clear position of need with, with with Gould off to the NFL draft. You talked about defensive back, but what, what about in the trenches, particularly on the defensive side of the ball? They're losing Andrew Chatfield Jr., the Florida transfer, who had a great season for, for Oregon State this year. That's a pretty sizable loss against a defensive front that I, I think was – inconsistent this year at least in in my view i don't know if you feel differently where do you feel they're at in talent acquisition on on the defensive line and do you think they need to make an addition um i don't necessarily know that it's a glaring position of need uh, they have brought in multiple edge rushers and you look at one in particular in anthony jones who obviously in oregon fans will be familiar with anthony jones he went mm -hmm. to indiana uh contributed indiana uh, but Oregon State is, has actually, you know, the defensive line was the first position of need that Oregon State had when Jonathan Smith took over and, you know, Tim Tibisar was still the defensive coordinator. And so it was the first position that they really emphasized heavily. And so I think they still have a, a decent amount of depth coming back. Sione Lolohea, 
is the guy in that group. He has another year of eligibility. Takari Hickel started to come on uh, as a redshirt freshman this year. He has multiple years of eligibility remaining, I think could be a stud in that defensive line group. Kelsey Howard, who was one of the two headliners in last year's recruiting class alongside Aiden Childs, uh, preserved his redshirt option as he develops, I think will be, uh, again, a very high-end contributor on that defensive line. I mean, he has the recruiting pedigree. Uh, and then multiple other guys who uh, will be moving on, um, not necessarily the, uh, the, the the starting guys. So I think Oregon State will be fine there. Uh, Thomas Collins, another freshman. Uh, Quincy Wright has been here a couple of years. I mean, Oregon State's got plenty of guys in the pipeline there. So I don't think defensive line is as much of a need as it has been in years past, which, uh, again, does feel somewhat odd to say about Oregon State, considering that's been kind of their glaring weakness for years. So as you look at the roster where it stands right now going into next year, we talked about receiver, maybe a tight end, a corner. Is there anything else that you feel they need to be, you know, what what they're going to attempt to do next year, which is, you know, operate as an independent, uh, of course, and play a Mountain West aligned schedule. But as they look to try and win 10 or more games next year, which I think is plenty feasible, do you feel like they are close to doing that or at the point where they've got a good enough roster to do that? Yeah, they might surprise some people uh, just because when you think about the Oregon State offseason so far, it's been departure, departure, departure. You know, nobody of, of huge impact of, you know, of note has come in via the portal. The recruiting class kind of got decimated by decommitments. I don't think you can. You have to give Oregon State some credit for what they're bringing back too. Um, a, a lot of guys who they have built uh, over the last couple of years who I think are about to pop, um, uh, like I mentioned on the defensive line, some of those redshirt freshmen, some of those guys who saw a little bit of action as true freshmen, um, guys who have been part of those recruiting classes that we've start to, started to see take steps forward. The one position that I think we haven't touched on a whole lot that I think could be somewhat of a, a point of emphasis moving forward for Oregon State is inside linebacker. And losing Easton Mascarenas Arnold is is huge. Um, it was a group that was not quite as deep as it had been in years past. Uh, that, for a long time, was kind of the cornerstone of the Oregon State defense with strong play at inside linebacker. Omar Spates, Avery Roberts. Uh, I mean, you can go back to the very beginning of the Jonathan Smith era. That was a, a very strong position for them. And now losing Mascarenas Arnold and and not having a whole lot of obvious guys to step in right away at, at that inside backer spot. Um, curious to see if they address that moving forward or if they think that the guys that are coming back who have experience as backups are, are going to be good to go. Um, you think of, of Tufanga, who came in from Utah in last year's transfer portal cycle. Uh, John Miller, who's been at Oregon State for years and who's played a, a backup role there and, and played quite a bit on special teams you know maybe they're ready to to throw in throw him into the starting lineup but it would not surprise me in the slightest if if they decided hey we need another guy that we think could start from day one via the portal carter baines beaverblitz.com and the 24 7 sports national writing desk appreciate it as always carter great stuff thank you sir appreciate everyone listening i will see you next time and until then i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day